Welcome to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I'm Steve Schwetz. Let's pray to get started. Father, thank you for your word. Would you open our eyes to see your wonder? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now let's set off for Ephesians 5. Now we want today to get back to our text of Scripture. And we'd like for you to turn here to this 14th verse. And I'm going to begin reading there. He says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall shine upon thee. Look carefully how ye walk, not as unwise, but as wise men, buying up the time, because the days are evil. On this account, become not senseless, that is, foolish, but understanding, that is, being prudent, what the will of the Lord is. Now, this is, again, a very wonderful passage of Scripture. And we are here in this section here where we see the engagement of the church. The church is moving toward the day when we'll be brought into Christ's presence. And the church will be presented to him as a bride, as we're going to see in a few moments. But that is something that ought to condition our living down here. And if it doesn't, then there is something radically wrong with our relationship to him. Because an engaged girl is apt to give a great deal of attention to the man she's engaged to, a child of God who is looking forward to the day when they'll be with Christ. It's apt to influence their conduct down here. And we saw last time he said that we're not to have any fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather we're to reprove them. And the thing that we're to do is to reprove them. They're reproved because it's made manifest by the light. Everything that is manifest is light. And I do not believe that you'll be able to win a person by lecturing to them and tell them what's wrong. This idea today that you are trying to straighten out the unsaved man and try to get him to change his conduct. He can't change his conduct. You're not asked to do that. That's not what he means by this, you are not to wiggle your finger under his nose and say to him, don't do that. Don't be a bad boy. You let him go right ahead because you are to be light, and light will always affect darkness. And therefore, by your light, by your testimony. I recall that when I became pastor in downtown Los Angeles, there was a very dear lady there. She was a very dominant character, however. She came to me and told me her husband was unsaved and to remember him in prayer. Well, I took it very seriously, and I remembered him in prayer. And one day she came down and she said, well, he comes with me to church, but he's never moved at the invitation. When others go forward, why well, he doesn't go forward. And I don't know, she says at the breakfast table, I just sit there and cry and talk to him. And then at the evening meal, I just sit and cry and talk to him. You know, I got to thinking about that. I don't know about you, but how would you like to have two meals a day with a crying woman? Personally, I would don't think I'd enjoy it, and I'm sure he didn't. And 
then that gave me the cue. And I said to her, calling her by name, I said, why don't you, instead of attempting to talk to him, why not have a moratorium on talking to him? You just don't be the preacher anymore. And don't cry in his presence. You fix him the nicest breakfast you possibly can and the nicest dinner you can and be the sweetest person you can. And let's see how that works. Well, she didn't think it would work because she said we're to witness. But she didn't seem to know what witnessing really was. And do you know that she did attempt to follow it? I don't know how sweet she was, but at least she stopped her blubbering in his presence and stopped lecturing to him. And in less than six months, that man made a decision for Christ. I think that was the problem. He was listening actually, to the wrong preacher. She should not have been preaching to him. She was to be light. And the way light affects darkness is it dissipates it, and not by lecturing to it, and not by preaching at it. Never be able to drive it out that way. And that's what Paul is saying to us. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Reprove them. Convict them. How? He says they are reproved and made manifest by the light. Your very life before them is the thing, not what you're saying. Now, in verse 14 and 17, here he says, Wherefore he, God, saith, Awake thou that sleepest, rise from the dead, and Christ shall shine upon thee. Now, what he's saying here, it's a command to do something that's humanly impossible. How can you awake from the dead? How can you wake out a spiritual death? Well, I think this awakening here is for believers who've fallen into a spiritual stupor. And he says, look carefully how ye walk, not as unwise, but as wise men, buying up the time, because the days are evil. On this account, become not senseless, that is foolish, but understanding, being prudent, that is what the will of the Lord is. Now, what he's saying here is look carefully how you walk. Now, again, there is this injunction regarding the walk of the believer. He's to walk wisely. His walk is to reveal the urgency of the hour and the importance of living for God. I think the entire objective in this walk is to stay in the will of God. Now, when you see a man in a place of business, he's a salesman and you go in. My, I tell you, he's on his toes. I tell you, he's rather dynamic. Now, if he's a child of God, how is he at other times when he's not in a place of business trying to make a dollar? Is he living for God? How is he on Sunday morning at church? The believer is to walk in the will of God as a train runs on the track. And the believer is to walk in this world as though he belonged to Christ. That's very important. There is this old cliche that you never ask a Texan if he is a Texan, that if he is, he'll let you know it. <laughs> and if he's not a Texan, you wouldn't want to embarrass him. Well, friends, a Christian ought to walk, so he's going to let you know that he is a child of God. Look carefully how you walk. That's important. Now we come to the experience of the church here. And this, again, is very important. The church 
now should have an experience. And I believe in an experience. But what is the experience? Here it is. Be not drunk with wine, in which is riot or dissoluteness, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking one to another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. Now, this is not a dry discourse against the evils of drunkenness. Although drunkenness was the besetting sin of the ancient world, and it's the besetting sin of the hour, and it may actually be the thing that will destroy America today. But this is not a lecture about that. But Paul actually is making a comparison. He says, don't be drunk with wine. Why? It'll stimulate you temporarily. It will energize the flesh, but it'll certainly let you down, and it leads to profligacy, dissoluteness, and it finally eventuates in desperation and despair and the delirium tremens. That's the direction it'll take you. Now, the child of God is told, don't be drunk with wine, but you're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this, I think, is the experience. Now, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, I think that you find a correspondence, actually, in the man that's drinking. The man that's drinking is possessed by the wine. You can tell a drunk man. And the Holy Spirit should be the one to possess the believer. This divine intoxication that's needed today, not excessive emotionalism, but that which furnishes the dynamic for living and accomplishment of doing something for God. In other words, the believer's walk and it's being filled with the Spirit are closely related here. He says here that you're to walk carefully, circumspectly by the ways we have it. Walk carefully and be filled with the Spirit. They're related. And these are the commands that are given to the believer relative to the Holy Spirit. You're never commanded to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You're told that you are baptized the moment you trust Christ. By one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. How do we do that? By some effort on our part? No. Your faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit regenerates you, and the Holy Spirit indwells you as we've seen here. The Holy Spirit seals you, and the Holy Spirit baptizes you, puts you in the body of a believer. But now you need a filling of the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, those that were gathered yonder on that day, they had all of these performed for them, but they had to serve. They needed to serve Christ, and they, we are told they were filled with the Spirit. And that was the experience that enabled them to witness on that day. Now, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I think, is probably as simple as driving in a filling station. As many of us do, I drive in a filling station and I say, fill it up. And I think it's to start out in the morning with the Lord and say, Lord, I want to walk today in the Spirit. I can't do it myself. I need your power. I need your help. And that you start out that day by asking for an infilling of the Holy Spirit. That's something that's dreadfully needed by believers, and that we today are to be filled with the Spirit. Now, if you were filled with the Spirit yesterday and last week, I won't do for today, if I may go back to the filling station again, 
I drove into the filling station the other day here in Southern California, and a friend of mine that runs it, I said, fill it up. The next day I came in and I said to him, fill it up. He said, where in the world have you been? Oh, I said, I've been really out moving. <laughs> I said, I drove down to Yucca Valley. I was down there speaking at a sunrise service, and I had church services, and I've just got back. You see, friends, when you're filled with the Spirit, that means that you will just be doing something for God, walking in the Spirit, and that doesn't mean that you'll have enough for tomorrow. You need another infilling for tomorrow. That old gas tank needs filling up, you see. Now, that's the reason some people can be so mightily used of God one day and feel so empty the next. And I've had that feeling. I'm sure that you have. That means we need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, what will it do? It's going to enable you to walk in the Spirit. And you may stumble and fall, but the way my little grandson learned to walk was by falling on his nose. And he's got a bruised spot on his forehead and on his nose. You know why? He was learning to walk. And the child of God is to get up and try it again, because that's what he does. And one of these days, he's going to be a good walker. <laughs> and God wants you and me to be that. He wants us to get to the day that when he doesn't have to spend all the time burping us. He wants us to walk in the Spirit. He wants us to be filled with the Spirit. Now, when we're filled with the Spirit, what's one of the evidences? Speaking one to another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And it's a good thing that the Spirit of God said speaking one to another because of the fact if it said singing, that would leave me out. But this is speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I think psalms are from the book of Psalms. I think all of those were set to music as... Many of you saw when we went through the book of Psalms. And hymns were men's compositions on a very high plane for the glory of God. And spiritual songs were less formal than either psalms or hymns. And I don't think they were rock either, by the way. Probably some were composed as the person was singing. I'm not sure but what that was true in that day. So that you have here this manifestation. It'll bring joy into your life. Now, if I may carry through the figure here, being not drunk with wine, I've noticed in all the motels that we stay in and hotels across the country, they have what they call a happy hour. And that means you go in at 5 o'clock, and if you spend an hour sitting on a bar stool, why, you'll be sociable by 6 or 7 o'clock and will be able to go in and be fit to live with for a little while. And I've seen them go in to those places, and I'll be honest with you, they didn't look happy when they went in, and they didn't look happy when they came out either. But they call it the happy hour. Now, I saw this up in Medford, Oregon first, and now I see it in other places. Now, some places are calling it the attitude adjustment hour. Well, believe me, we sure need an attitude adjustment hour. And one of the things that needs to be done is... The child of God should be filled with the Spirit that he might radiate the joy of the Lord. John says that one of the reasons that he had written what he did was that our joy might be full, <laughs> and we might have fellowship with him, and our joy might be full. And I think we ought to have a good time. I think that 
There ought to be fun time in the church. And I don't mean some silly period, but I mean that the joy of the Lord ought to be there. And friends, it can only come through the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, will you notice as we move on, he says, giving thanks always for all things to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know the other mark is giving thanks to God. Now, when we were in the book of Psalms, again and again and again and again, it was thanksgiving to God, praise to God on a high level. And we don't have enough of that among believers today. Right now, bless all of us. That is, if you feel like, let's just say, praise the Lord. (laughs) Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Can you say it from the heart? It's no good just to say it. I heard the other day, there's a great deal of this nonsense going around. Oh, just say to everybody, I love you. Well, that's nonsense. If you don't love them, and if you do love them, you can show it to them, I think, in a little bit better way. Paul speaks here being kind. Don't gossip and manifest it. Don't say it to them, you know. I won't get very far here today, and so I'm going to take just time to tell this very wonderful thing I heard years ago that I think reveals something. The late Dr. Howard Kelly, the great surgeon, and he was also a great obstetrician, and he wrote in the field of obstetrics. And I think that his works were classic among doctors for a long time. He was a great man, and he was a great Christian, wonderful man of God. The stories told it he was taking a walk out in the country from Baltimore in one of those lovely sections up there in rural area. And he got thirsty, and he came to a farmhouse. And this was back in the old days when these things were acceptable. He went up and knocked on the door, and a little girl came to the door. And he said to her, said, may I have a drink of water? And, and she looked puzzled for just a moment. She said, well, my mom and my daddy, they've gone into town, and there's no water in the house, and it's out in the well, but says, we got some cold milk. Would you like to have a glass of milk? And so he said, I surely would. So he sat down on the porch, and the little girl went to the spring, and she got a glass of milk and brought it to him, and he drank it, and it was just delicious. And she said to him, would you like to have another? And he said, I surely would. And she went and got him another glass. And then he thanked her, and they went walking on down the road. And he just thought, what a lovely little girl she was. And you know, it wasn't many days after that that the little girl got sick, pain in her side, and she was taken into the hospital there of John Hopkins. And you know who the doctor was that came in and looked at her? It was Dr. Kelly. And he saw that little girl, and it was the little girl that had given him the two glasses of milk. And so he took special care of her, and she had to be operated on for appendicitis, as they called it in those days. And so when it was over with and the time came to take her home, Dr. Kelly hadn't said a word. And the father and mother, the girl, were waiting in the room because it was time to take her home. And they were sitting there in fear and trembling because they really didn't have the money to pay for the operation and to pay for the hospital. And so the bill was presented and they opened it with fear and trembling and 
There was the bill with everything listed there, but underneath it, it was filled out, and it said, paid in full with two glasses of milk, signed Dr. Howard Kelly. Friends, to me, that's one of the loveliest things. He was a wonderful Christian, and that's the way. You don't have to run around telling everybody you love it. Show them that you love it and reveal the joy in your life. If it's not there, don't put on a Cheshire smile and look like a Cheshire cat. That's not necessary. The important thing is be filled with the Spirit, and then there will be thanksgiving in your life. And then, my friend, you can return thanks to God, and you can lift a psalm of praise to Him, and you can manifest the joy of the Lord. And you can reveal love in your life, provided you fail with the Spirit. By the way, this is very practical. This is down where the rubber meets the road. Why don't you drive in the filling station and tell him to fill it up? For information on this ministry, call 1-800-65-BIBLE or visit ttb.org. Here's Dr. McGee with a closing thought. Here is something, friends, that we'd like to call your attention to before we come to our study next time and in light of what we have just said today. To be filled with the Holy Spirit and to walk in the Spirit are actually the same thing. They describe the two aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit and the life of the believer for living the Christian life and for serving God in the Christian life. Now, therefore, to be filled with the Spirit, that's passive. And to walk in the Spirit is active. But they are the same thing. Paul uses two figures of speech to describe the same thing, but from a different viewpoint. Let me take it over into a figure of speech that we're acquainted with today. A car today, an automobile, must be filled with gasoline to run on the highway. You must stop and have it filled. And then the car will go on that gas that is in the car, that's been put in the car. Now, the child of God is to permit himself to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he can actively walk in the Spirit or learn to walk in the Spirit. We have already seen that in the epistle to the Galatians, that the Christian life is something that doesn't come to you overnight. You have to learn to walk in the Spirit. Now, we actually had these brought together in one word that we emphasized when we were there. In the sixth chapter of Romans, it says, "...neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, so that the important thing here is an act of the will. And that act of the will is in the word yield. I used to think yield meant, and I heard so much about the surrendered life, it's a sort of a blah kind of a thing, you know. But to yield yourself is an act of the will. And Paul uses that same word when in the 12th chapter, He's talking about serving the Lord. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, that you yield your bodies 
a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And the problem today with the child of God is that he's expecting some great miraculous thing to take place in living the Christian life. He said, well, I yielded myself. What do you mean yield yourself? You really yielded yourself to sin. And the reason Christians are getting in so much difficulty and problems today is because they're actually not yielding themselves to God at all. They are not yielding to Him. They are not walking in the Spirit, if you please. The little girl, when she fell out of bed at night, her mama asked her when she went up and picked her up, because she was crying, put her back in bed, says, why'd you fall out of bed? Little girl said, I think I stayed too close to the place where I got in. There are too many Christians today that have not taken that step of faith and walking by means of the Holy Spirit. Now, he's going to talk about how that's going to affect all the relationships of life, and we'll see that next time. May God richly bless you, my beloved. Jesus came home, to him I Today's study is always available, free to stream or download, thanks to the generous and faithful investments from your fellow Bible Bus travelers. Just go to ttb.org or download our app to listen again anytime. As always, we'd love to know what's God teaching you.